Hello and welcome to another episode of the Industrial Software Podcast. I have today joining us Emily Wilkins from Marketing Metal. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Uh, just to start off, do you want to give folks just a little bit of an overview of what Marketing Metal is and what you folks do? Sure. Uh, so Marketing Metal is, uh, I call it the anti-agency, and I work with small mostly job shops, um, custom manufacturing companies, usually, you know, mom and pop kind of family run, uh, shops that I, I love working with like second generation owners that are, um, you know, trying to put their, their new mark on, on their family's legacy. And, um, and we, we build, uh, brat, radical brands and websites for them, um, and help them, uh, with their marketing strategy and really trying to empower them to, uh, take what we build for them and run with it. Um, because I, most, you know, most small shops don't have a huge marketing budget. It's, it's just really good for them to kind of have that control and, um, and feel, feel like they, you know, feel empowered to do their own marketing. <laughs> for sure. It's, it's interesting that you cast it as the anti-agency. Um, <laughs> So what are some of the things about agencies that you specifically want to be anti? I know like giving them the keys, like you just described, uh, mm -hmm. is not always typical. Um, no. So what are, what are the <laughs> things that you most are proud of, like kind of distinguish you as being anti the others? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a big one. Like you really hit it on the head, just kind of giving them the keys and, um, and training. I'm, I'm actually working on a whole kind of training program, uh, slash like round table kind of a thing, a mastermind thing that I'll, um, I'm going to be inviting my clients to, to kind of, you know, give them some more hands-on training with, uh, to, to use what we have. So yeah, that, that's a big part of it. Control. Um, you know, I've, I've had a client that spent $15,000 on a website that, uh, didn't allow them to make text changes to it. <laughs> so like, didn't have access at all. So they, you know, always have to pay an agency to make the changes and, you know, business just moves too fast these days for that to be a, a thing. So that's a big piece of it. Um, I also, I do have a couple of clients that I work with on a retainer, but, um, we, uh, we try to work just on one project at a time. Um, cause then I can, we, we really have that momentum and can focus all of our creative energy on, on one specific thing at once. Um, whereas I, I've worked in agencies and I've also worked as the internal marketing person at a job shop with an outside agency, you know, kind of been the coordinator and that relationship, there's always, uh, there's always just a struggle there. You know, everyone, no one feels like they're getting what, they, what they're paying for and, uh, or being paid for. So yeah, I think just really trying to change that relationship and make it a lot more, um, using a super streamlined process to really get them everything that they need to be successful and, and also make it worthwhile for, for me and my team, but just making it more fun, you know? I think that having that momentum and kind of carrying that momentum through the project is that's a huge uh, struggle, I think, with um, with marketing work. And I think, have you know, again, having worked with agencies before, I think that's um, something that they struggle with a lot. You just kind of you get burnout on working on a project if you're, you know, you going back to it every couple of weeks or whatever and, you know, waiting on changes and all, you know, it just kind of 
you get bored and it starts to drag and, you know, that initial excitement wears off. So I try to, uh, we try to harness that and use it throughout the project. For sure. So a lot of marketing these days is like, it's a continual verb. You can't set it and forget it, right? Yeah. (laughs) So what are the kinds of things that you do when, when you're working with multiple clients to set them up for long-term success, to get them on cadences of doing these marketing activities? H- how do you handle that when maybe the organization doesn't have inertia there? Yeah, so that's where that training piece came from. It's going to be part training, part like accountability and planning and kind of helping them you know, develop the the ideas and, um, and schedule them out. And what we try to do is just capture as much content as we can in the initial project. Um, you know, if we're doing onsite video or photography or something, you know, we just, we try to shoot as much as we possibly can in the space of time that we have. And then I provide some, some resources to help them kind of turn that into different pieces of content. And I always give them some guidelines like you know you should be posting a couple times a week if possible and i'm always reminding my clients too you know it's not so it's not always about just what you're putting out there in terms of your own content but also being supportive and connecting with other people like you know making sure that you're connecting with your customers and your vendors on social media and um commenting on their posts and doing things like that that, because that all goes a long way too how does that end up those kind of responsibilities, how do those typically end up being distributed at the companies that you're working with? Like, does it end up being one person or does it end up being kind of like a collaborative effort from a lot of the folks there? How does, how does that breakdown work? I personally, I think they're most successful when they include more of their team. Um, I think it's hard for business owners sometimes to, you know, to give, their team that responsibility, but, um, uh, but I definitely think that there's a ton of value in bringing more people into the process and tapping into your team's different talents. You know, I talk a lot, like your machinist might be a comedian. A lot of them are comedians. (laughs) (laughs) Like your welder is probably an artist because a lot of them are, you know, it's so kind of tapping into those different talents and, um, and encouraging them to put their ideas forward and, um, and really get into, get into the process and, um, yeah, making it clear that you want them to do that. And, um, yeah. Since a lot of the time we're talking about businesses that are literally multi-generational, it could be a family. Yeah. What I've seen on the ground sometimes is uh, and I don't want to stereotype, but usually sometimes one generation will be trying to push the business in this direction of being more out there, being more active with marketing activities and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not as native to, you know, others at the company. Mm-hmm. Um, have you dealt with instances of almost kind of culture clash? And is that impression that I'm getting of like, this is actually happening a lot in these businesses? Um, is this true? Is my hunch correct? Yeah, I, I, I think that's, you do see that. Um, most of the companies that I work with, uh, cause I tend to, you know, it tends to be the owner or, or president, um, or, you know, the director of sales. Those are 
like the main people that kind of come to me and want to work with me. So, so since they're kind of leading, leading the charge, I think it's, it's less of an issue because they're, you know, they're the ones that are, are all for it. Um, I think just accepting that the different generations see, you know, digital marketing in different ways. Um, and, and even like, you know, embracing that in your content, like, like making fun of the fact that your, uh, you know, grandpa, grandpa machinist doesn't like to go on video and talk about, or, you know, doesn't know what Facebook is or TikTok is or what, you know, just, I don't know. I think that there's some, some comedic elements that can be pulled out of that for sure. If, um, yeah. if they're willing, obviously it, you know, <laughs> if someone's not into it, they're not going to, you know, you're, you're probably not going to convince them, but <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was talking to a smaller parts supplier at an event and someone on staff was saying our website's 20 years old as like a negative thing. Mm-hmm. And actually what I was thinking in that moment was that means your company's been around for 20 years. <laughs> that means you're doing a lot of things. Correct. For sure. Um, yeah. What kinds of like institutional knowledge are you able to like, as you're maybe like rebranding or like modernizing the marketing activities of these companies. How do you capture a lot of the legacy institutional knowledge where like a lot of the real amazing, like mind blowing value is held? Mm -hmm. Video is so powerful and just, just getting those people to talk on video. Um, I, that's something that I'm pretty good at. If I do say so myself, (laughs) Um, I would agree there. (laughs) Just getting, uh, you know, getting those people to open up and, uh, and be themselves on camera and really, really talk about that, um, you know, show, show that pride in what they do and show the, um, the value that they bring to the table. And we need to learn from each other from all, we all have different things to bring to the table, right? So the, the young generation can learn from the older generation, all the knowledge that they have. And, you know, even, even hearing about how they did things 20 years ago, it's, it kind of gives us a different perspective on, on how we do things now. And, you know, on the flip side, obviously having the younger generation show the older generation, like how you can connect with a customer in, you know, in California and (laughs) um, just with a quick Google search and finding that community, like showing how you can find that kind of community online um, in a digital space. So I also heard from some folks that like they get leads from their online activities, but sometimes those leads, they will assume they might be of a lower quality because they're coming from online. It, it kind of like was their impressions of the kind of value you get from, from your web presence. And maybe it's not as valuable. And I was thinking, well, maybe the targeting is wrong there. Maybe yeah. it's not. So is that something that you've encountered or, or maybe misconceptions around that? I think you really hit it there when you talked about, or you said the positioning, right? The, yeah, or something like that. Maybe it's not finding the right audience. Yeah, the targeting and the positioning. I mean, the way that you're presenting your shop and talking about the kinds of customers that you like to work with, you know, and there's some different kind of fail-safes that you can put into your process, your user experience journey to, like, weed out some of that low-quality traffic. I think to... Um, <laughs> I'm known for calling out 
bad SEO practices because <laughs> um, there are some out there. And I, I think where you publish your website online matters. If you have an SEO company that's just posting, you know, links to your site on just random blog sites that are super spammy and just getting a lot of spam traffic, that's where you're going to get a lot of that spam traffic from. <laughs> um, Whereas on the flip side, if you're actually doing the PR work of, you know, submitting articles to industry publications and, um, you know, and getting listed in these industry publications that are specific to your business, you know, you're going to get higher quality traffic from those places versus just any old random blog on the internet, <laughs> which seems obvious, but it's, you know, when uh, machine shop owners are not you know, they don't know what they don't know, right? They don't know how the web works in a lot of cases. And, um, you know, and agencies will use big terms that they don't understand. And it just doesn't um, make things confusing and they don't know what questions to ask. And so there's things like that. Yeah. So you brought up SEO and this is something I've been wanting to ask you about. When you're talking about SEO, and a lot of just analytics and, th and things that you, you traditionally use to guide marketing activities, it relies on numbers. Like what percent of this converts into this? And, you know, like what percent of this traffic to some keyword can we capture with our SEO? In a lot of industrial spaces, the volumes are so low. So low. A lot of this goes out the window. And I personally yeah. have not known how to navigate this a lot. Yeah. So how do you find signal? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, usually you're trying to find signal in the noise, but here I'm just trying to find signal. Yeah. So how do you, how do you deal with this kind of no, this kind of like unknown aspect of like low volume stuff? Yeah, that is a, a great question. And, um, I don't know if I have the complete answer. I don't know if anyone either. does, but, <laughs> but like, what are you doing to try to navigate? Cause I'm, I'm dealing with this too. I think everyone yeah. in this space deals with this for sure. Yeah. I think the best thing that you can do is really just talk to your customers and find out what, you know, what they're asking about, mm. you know, when they're, when they're doing their research on your service or whatever, what are the things that they're typing into Google and, um, and then writing, you know, writing content about that and then, and then looking at your analytics based on that. So, um, it's, Again, not the traditional kind of way that SEO is done for, you know, doctors' offices and all these other these other things that are very SEO heavy. You know, they they have to do SEO that way, otherwise they're not going to be found. But yeah, for our stuff, since since it's so niche and so low volume, um, I I really think the best place to start is just talking to your customers um, and finding out what they're you know, what kind of things they're looking for when they go to search the internet. Um, and yeah, paying attention to how much time they're spending on, on those pages and seeing if there's better ways to present the information, you know, and readability is a huge thing that people don't always pay attention to. And I think that uh, search engines are paying a lot more attention to that. <laughs> so making sure that your content is super well organized and like we started putting basically like a little table of contents at the beginning of every article um, that linked to the, to the different sections. That stuff goes a really long way. And speaking in human terms, short sentences in human 
language and not just using a ton of jargon. Like that's, that's always going to be better too. For me, I try to remember, you know, I'll be myself listening to in some podcast related to something (laughs) deep tech, industrial, whatever, and there's (laughs) 10 views on it. And it's the the most fascinating thing I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. And it's like the most information dense podcast I've ever heard. And so I have to remind myself, you know, like if you come across these things with low views, you know, one of those people might be a huge enterprise customer. And one of those people might convert to a huge sale and bring along someone else. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, volume is not everything, especially in our, in our super niche industries. Like volume is really not that important in the grand scheme of things. It's, quality of traffic is what you're looking for. So along those lines, how do you then kind of try and figure out what quality you're, you're getting and adjust from there? So like from my end, I've been trying to figure out like, how do I convert this into an interaction between me and them as soon as possible? Like (laughs) they're not just a bounce on the page. They are, you know, the beginning of some kind of a relationship, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that's been what I've been trying to lean towards, but is, Mm -hmm. is that, something that you ascribe to as well? Definitely. Yeah. You always want, you always want to know what the next step is for that viewer and, and make it enticing and interesting and, um, something that they, they'll want to take that next step. Your next call to action is always, uh, should always be a priority and just removing barriers, thinking about what in that moment, wherever they are on your website, what are they trying to find and making sure that you're providing that to them. On the topic of websites, am I correct that a lot of the like actual website activities that Marketing Metal does, it's WordPress? Uh, we do WordPress. Okay. Um, however, I depending on the client, I often will suggest Squarespace. Okay. I just think it's, you know, again, I think job shops have, uh, they tend to have limited marketing budgets. It's just easier. (laughs) Everything's there. Um, you know, they don't have to worry about security and plugins, breaking things, all of that. You know, they have great chat support, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, you know, email support, that kind of thing, but it kind of depends on the client. If they're, you know, if search optimization is something that they're really strongly interested in and, you know, want to uh, rely on, then we might look at WordPress just because there's a little bit more, you know, there's more functionality there for search optimization and and tracking and all that. And if they're, you know, if they have complex needs, uh, they need their website to have more functionality than just, (laughs) you know, just a blog and whatever, then we might look at WordPress. But, um, but I've really liked Squarespace. It's easy to use and yeah, most developers would <laughs> turn their nose up at that for sure. But, uh, you know, they'd scoff at that idea. But So I actually don't turn my nose up at it. And I, I kind of <laughs> want to dig into this because a lot of our audience might not know how radical it is for a marketing agency to be in the position where they're recommending Squarespace to clients. That <laughs> yeah. is a tectonic shift. Oh, yeah. And I, and I think it underscores a lot of the positive aspects of, of how you've approached your agency. Mm-hmm. because a lot of WordPress is very cumbersome for, okay. Yes. So let's take pro. Sorry. I'm going to go on a little nerd rant for a second. <laughs> let's take pros it. of WordPress. It. Let's take pros of WordPress. Okay. Number one, it's open source. 
most of or like a, a huge percentage, maybe like 40% ish of the internet runs on WordPress. WordPress yeah. isn't a It's more than 40%, isn't it? It's more, I'm sure it's more. It's huge. Yeah. It's just everywhere. Yeah. And the fact that something open source has that much market share is like impossible. Yeah. Think, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's like yeah. if Firefox was as used as Google Chrome. You right. know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just wild that that history happened in such a way that most of the internet runs now we have uh, obviously linux runs most of the internet but <laughs> yeah uh, but wordpress does too and that's beautiful and so i've always kind of cheered for it and yeah there's a wordpress community there's like oh yeah cool people use wordpress i like there's a <laughs> wordpress community in my uh hometown here mm -hmm. and i go and hang out at their meetup i love these people yeah so i'm rooting for it yeah but, <laughs> but there's but, a billion problems with it. Yeah. I mean, it's great when, when you're a developer and you understand HTML and you, you're, you know, used to WordPress and you understand how websites work and how the internet works. And, um, you know, it, it's a great tool. Like it does anything you want it to do. Um, but if you want to be a little bit more hands off and, and still have like a level of control and know that your site is secure and, um, and you don't have that knowledge, <laughs> uh, WordPress is difficult. <laughs> to right. Say. Yeah. I also believe <laughs> it definitely encourages the relationship between marketing agencies and clients of not giving them the keys. Yeah. Because you oftentimes host it for them. You run it on your own. Now, I'm sorry to anyone listening who does this because there are a lot of <laughs> benefits if you have a For marketing sure. agency that does this dynamic well, yes. which is hard to do well. So yes. props to you if you do do it well. Yes. <laughs> but a lot of times they don't give them the keys. Yeah. Um, is that is part fine. of the... Yeah. It's which fine. Is, yeah, it can be fine. It's fine yeah. if you're a, you know, if you're a corporation with... A, a big marketing budget and you can, you know, afford to spend your marketing dollars on retaining a, a development agency. But that's not the case for most job shops. <laughs> now, here's my next line of questions, which is, so I actually tried to help someone get a little bit of a web presence going. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to go the WordPress route because I wanted them to be able to just log in and do their stuff. So then you have your whole bucket of options, which is like uh, Webflow, Squarespace, Wix, all of those. None of them seem to accommodate the marketing agency client dynamic. <laughs> so with Squarespace, are you able to like get them set up, make the site, hand it over to them, and then you can log in and make changes or they can log in and make changes? Yeah. Okay. See, that's yeah, what I was trying a... to yeah, you there's a collaborator thing. You just add add people to it. So, okay, I think it probably has a limit on how many collaborators you can have, but it's like five. It's not, yeah. So, how have the clients reacted to that? Being able to log in and update things. Do they oh, do they do that? It. Oh yeah, my okay. Um, some are better than others. <laughs> okay. And again, kind of why I'm planning this like training thing, training piece of it because I think. Um, having a little bit more handholding like 
throughout the year to, to give them uh, more confidence in, in using it and working with it. You know, I had one client that was on WordPress and their site was like so disjointed and it was, it really was a mess. And there was some plugins that were doing some really funny things. Plugins were breaking things all the time. And like, it, it just never was working properly. Um, and then they got into HubSpot and HubSpot was telling them to like host their blogs on HubSpot, which is like completely opposite of the point of a blog. <laughs> like the point of the blog is to drive traffic to your website. So why would you put it on HubSpot's yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> they just were having so much trouble with it. And they had a, you know, they had an intern at one point that was doing stuff. And every time they logged in, they were like frustrated. You know, it reminded me of like me when I, when I started my business and anytime I would log into QuickBooks and try to do something, I was just like, end up in tears. Like that's what, what it sounded like when she was describing too. Um, so once we, <laughs> when we launched their Squarespace site, I mean, she's, told me several times, like editing my website is a breeze. Now she calls it a breeze and just loves going in there and be, being able to do her blog and, um, and all that. So it's, it's really so much more intuitive. <laughs> I've heard though, like everything has its pros and cons. I've heard sure. Squarespace is a, has a little bit of a problem with page load speed. Sometimes is that something you've run into? There's some, there's things that you can do to to fix that, and I think that they've gotten better with every iteration on that too. Yeah, and that's part of the benefit if you opt into a platform like that. Mm -hmm. Any improvements they make, you get automatically. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Changing gears just a little bit. So you do marketing, which I would almost say is a bit of an undersell. There's a ton of things that you do, and uh, I would encourage folks to go listen to the. Uh, interview that was done with elite automations podcast, the marketing come up, I believe it's called. Yeah. Sorry. Manufacturing come up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was a great interview and a lot of kind of broad strokes things there. But in that you talked about your background is broader than just marketing. You did product development, you did things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and w one thing that really stood out to me was, that you describe the product development process and the marketing process as being kind of like in some ways married for sure. And that actually isn't a dynamic that I've encountered that often. So I was curious if you could tell me a little bit about like how those two things fit together in your previous roles. Yeah. Um, so I, I come from the toy industry, <laughs> which is funny. Um, actually I have my, uh, my little, my Emily train from my first job. I, I worked on the Thomas, the tank engine team. For, for those who are listening to the audio version, she just <laughs> held up a super cool Thomas, the tank engine right there. Uh, Thomas's best friend's name is Emily. So I have my there green Emily train There you go. <laughs> right next to my, uh, my manufacturing millennial and uh, awesome manufacturing happy hour. Chris Lee. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my are those 3d life. printed or what? There's a the little Lego. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah. Shouts out to those folks too, as well, by the way. Um, Jake Hall and Chris Luke are two of my favorite people. I love them. <laughs> oh yeah. Jake has been just such a huge supporter. I actually had lunch with him this week. He's amazing. Um, cool. and such, both of them are just such huge, um, um, advocates for women in manufacturing and, um, and just, 
uh, progress in general, you know, they're, they're just great. So, um, yes, I started in the toy industry. Um, and actually I was thinking about this the other day. The reason I ended up in the toy industry, I've always been, um, like I babysat a lot as a kid and I was always the, you know, the fun babysitter that brought like crafts and stuff like arts and <laughs> like I love watching cartoons and I'm just a little kid at heart. Um, and then in high school, I, I actually got school credit to work at a little mom and pop toy store in town. Um, and it was like a kind of a boutique toy store. So, and then I had mentioned that to a friend in college and I was looking for a, a new co-op job in marketing. And he's like, well, my, uh, my uncle is the VP of sales at a toy company in Chicago. <laughs> Want me to talk to him? And I was like, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, um, so yeah, I worked at a toy company in Chicago. It was um, called RC2 at the time. It's now owned by Tomy, I believe. They did uh, the diecast cars, like the Hot Wheels and, um, and diecast trains. And we had a lot of uh, like Disney licenses and Thomas, obviously, and different things like that. So, but yeah, marketing and product development were, they were always in the same, um, in the same area. Uh, I would work with the, fa our factories in China, you know, I'd have to give them super clear direction on what we're, you know, what we're looking for and they would build prototypes for us and send them over. And then I, and a lot of times we would have to do the marketing before we had final parts from China, we would have, we, so we would have to do a lot of our photography and stuff with prototypes. So they would, you know, we'd get different iterations of the prototypes and then send feedback to them. And I'd have to take, take photos of each item and, um, send them feedback or do some Photoshopping if we needed to put them in, you know, in our brochures or whatever. So yeah. And then, uh, marketing was always kind of the research arm of that too. So we're, you know, marketing is talking to customers and, you know, understanding what they like about products and what they're interested in, what trends are happening. So all of that feeds back into product development and, you know, coming up with your next product line for next year. And so the talking to customers part mm -hmm. is something I could stand to learn a lot about. So <laughs> <laughs> when I do that, it's now it's with software, but not with physical things. It's really hard to remove myself from the interaction enough to not be confirming my biases or hearing what I want to hear or yeah. guiding them in the directions that I want them to go in and things like that and <laughs> actually be learning from them. Mm -hmm. Is Do you have strategies around that or like how did you, was that a difficulty for you as well? Like how did you navigate that situation? That's a really good question. Because that's the thing I'm not good at. <laughs> I like to talk and I need to train myself to listen more yeah says the guy with the podcast <laughs> uh it's a good question yeah i'm actually i'm working with a uh edm shop in california right now these guys are very sweet they're uh they've been doing edm work for you know 30 40 years they're in their 60s 70s <laughs> so and they're kind of trying to you know modernize their shop 
And it was really hard for me to pull some of that out of them. Like, what are your customers looking for when they're looking for your stuff? You know, are they specifically looking for EDM always? I was really trying to get to the basics of it. And it's hard to remove yourself for sure. It's, it's easy to forget how much knowledge you have and, uh, and go back to that toddler exploring the world viewpoint, you know, trying to take all of your knowledge out of the equation and start fresh. But I think it depends on, I guess, what you're trying to find out from your customers. For sure. Now turning towards your customers, um, <laughs> how is, how are you finding that the relationship typically starts? Uh, I know you've been active at events, so maybe it's folks that you meet there. Um, it could be your own online marketing efforts. What's, what's been tending to work for you on your end? Yeah. Um, being active on LinkedIn has definitely helped. I haven't had to do much like cold calling. It's really hard. <laughs> cold calling is always hard. I, I really sort of started my business in like 2011 <laughs> and I was too young and not well enough connected to actually be successful with it. So <laughs> it's hard to go out there and talk to people and find problems that they have that you can solve and convince them that you're, you're the right person to solve them. Most of my work has been referral, thankfully, um, but the, the LinkedIn stuff is working. The California company, for example, they reached out to me on LinkedIn. They had seen a couple of my posts. <laughs> One in particular, I had said like, you're, I was talking about so posting on social media, like your audience doesn't care about your, your machine specs and capabilities. They care, you know, they care about why you're passionate about what you do and you know, what you're, I, I, I can't remember exactly what the post said, but he was like, Everything you said I shouldn't be doing is exactly what I thought I should be doing. So <laughs> what am I doing wrong? <laughs> so um, messaging is huge, though, for that. You know, if you have a really clear, clear message that's getting to the heart of your customers' problems and helps them self-identify, that is huge. And that's why I'm, I'm, have been successful on LinkedIn. It's because I'm specifically talking to small job shop, you know, to family owned mom and mom and pop job shops. There are quite a few agencies out there that are manufacturing specific now, but none of them are targeting job shops. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they might have a couple job shop clients, but that's not specifically who they're, for the, who they're working with. And I think job shops, you know, they're kind of a different animal, which is why I've been successful. So I'm, I'm really getting to the heart of the pain points that they have, which is they hate working with marketing agencies. So just really getting to the heart, I think of your customers, actual struggles and, um, and talking in their terms, that's huge. And if you're doing that consistently and you're actually, you know, getting out there online in the right place and, and connecting with the right people, um, I, that's, that's going to be huge for you. And actually, you know, we were talking about SEO before, like there's so much content out there on the internet now that, you know, we're almost at a tipping point. I think where social media is becoming more important than SEO because you're, you know, websites are getting lost among all of the content because people have been saying for 10 years, you know, 10 plus years, that content is king. So <laughs> that's what, you know, agencies and businesses have been doing is just pumping out content. You know, social media is getting more, uh, more crowded as well. So it's really just finding those communities and finding the right people to connect with, uh, that can lift you up. And, you know, like, like Jake and Chris, 
just making connections with people that are adjacent to you um, in your industry. And, you know, the, like some of the other industrial marketing agencies, we're, we're connected on LinkedIn and, um, and we comment on each other's posts. And, you know, we're always supportive of each other because there's plenty of work for everyone. You know, it's not like we need to be like fighting each other tooth and nail for, <laughs> for work, right? What you just described totally lines up, with, lines up with what I've been seeing of social media being really the linchpin going forward of a lot of things. But there's something difficult, another dynamic that I've been seeing play out, which is that individuals do fantastically. Yeah. Organizations have a hard time. People yeah. don't get fired up about following a brand. No. Nope. I mean, like people aren't all in a tizzy following Tesla on Twitter. They're all in a tizzy following Elon on Twitter. You have to have a human as the company. And case in point, you mentioned Jake and Chris. I mean, it's like these are brands that are and, and people talk about this in like big media influencers like Mr. Beast becoming a business. But I don't think a lot of people realize that this is happening in industrial media as well. We are in influencer central. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you don't. So I've been trying to operate under a brand mm -hmm. and that is not working at all. <laughs> I, I don't like to use social media personally. Yeah. So I was like, well, great. I'll do it all under brand. And then, no, that's not working. So a job shop has a hard time spinning up a, you know, eye-catching personality as the front person of a social media empire. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So how how are you – are you seeing this as well? And yeah. are there ways to make a brand – tangible enough to compete in a landscape of faces yes uh you're absolutely right companies are not doing as well as faces. you know pe people do business with people we don't do business with companies um sure there's brands that people love to get behind like like tesla and like bmw or you know patagonia whatever you know there there are brands that people actually want to follow and pay attention to but i think those brands are successful because they're getting to the heart of the human matters behind their brand. You know, they're, it's lifestyle branding, right? Lifestyle uh, advertising. It's, it's showing that this is the lifestyle that you subscribe to when you buy from this product, from this company or whatever. Like this, these are the values that, that you hold, um, that we care about in our brain, you know, that kind of thing. So, so the more human that you can be in your marketing is always going to, it's always going to be better. But yeah, I think, uh, I always encourage my clients to have a face, use someone's personal social media accounts to promote your business. It doesn't always, you know, they're not always excited about it or open to it. Um, and that's again, part of what I'm trying to do with this, uh, this kind of, round table, whatever I'm going to call it. I haven't done the branding work on it yet, but because I think anyone can do it. It's scary, but it's, it's not impossible. Um, it's not hard, <laughs> even if you don't have experience or feel like you want to be online all the time, you know, it's just a matter of making time for it. Yeah. There, there is still a place for the, the company brand. Um, LinkedIn, I think has been promoting the company brands a little bit more recently there. And I have a couple of clients that we're doing, um, we're posting on their business page on LinkedIn. Um, and, and it, it does. Okay. 
you know, it's not going to get the, the amount of traffic that the president of the company gets ever. It's still, it's, it's still important. Yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's no kind of getting around it. No. If, if you're in the audience and you're like, oh, I don't want to be the social media person, you know, I get it. And I think we have to get over ourselves. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I know. Think that's, yeah. I think that's just how it is these days. Yeah. I was the same way. I mean, I, and I still like, I, I don't spend a lot of time on social media. Um, I spend a ton of time there reading. I just, <laughs> I read, I, but I don't want to, yeah. yeah. Um, but the value that I see people get who are doing it is just unbelievable. So, yeah. And I mean, that's exactly why, because I think we all know how hard it is to do that, to like be vulnerable and consistently putting your, your life out there on, yeah. on the internet. Um, you're doing yeah. it very well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so mad props. Yeah. Thank you. I'm uh, Rock been, on. Um, a little behind recently, but you know, yeah. we, we do what we can. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A uh, couple of other questions. So first off, so we were just talking about how the relationship tends to start with, with you and your clients. Do you feel like when, when it starts out, they pretty much know what they need and it's pretty much on target or is it more that their stated goals and needs are different from what you perceive them as? Sort of both, I guess. The EDM shop in California, for example, they came to me asking me to submit a proposal for SEO services. <laughs> and I went to their website and I was like, you have a milling machine as your hero image. <laughs> your yeah. homepage. Like that's not screaming EDM to me. So, um, so there's some issues that we need to work on there. But so I think it depends. Um, it depends on how much knowledge they have. Uh, some, you know, some come in and they, you know, they've done some research and they kind of have a rough idea of what they're looking for, or they have very specific things that they are particular about, but they're still open to uh, my recommendations as an expert. My process actually I, is really helpful with that, starting with, because I, um, I kind of have this two-step process where we start with the setup. I, I do like the discovery piece is what most agencies call it. I, I do that as a product for clients instead of having it be this kind of rushed thing that, hmm. uh, that the agency uses to put together their massive proposal. <laughs> I flipped that over and I, I, I charge for it actually, but I put a lot more effort into it, if that makes sense. So it's asking clients to put a little skin in the game. It also signals to them that I am going to give them something that's really valuable that they can, you know, that, that kind of stands on its own in, um, in its value. And it does, um, because I provide a full, you know, kind of detailed, plan uh with some strategy and positioning i talk about you know i i present some research some market research and where i think that they can really shine and and i think that really works well and i spend i spend two hours really listening to where they are where they've been you know what they've tried what their big dreams are what their um you know i really get into the details of like who what customers do you really love to work with? Why, um, you know, what are some things that have really worked well for you in the past? What, 
you know, so, so we even touch on like business and sales processes. And yeah, I think, I think that has been really successful for me. Um, and it, it also puts me in that position of, uh, you know, they see me as an expert. So they're, um, they're open to my suggestions. Yes. Hmm. I want to talk a little bit about the macro situation. I went to three events this year. I went to Automate Show, IMTS, and then Fabtech. And those three shows kind of hit along three distinct points in our trajectory of entering a recession-y thing. <laughs> I don't know what, what people call a recession-y thing. <laughs> um, how are you preparing for the next phase that we're entering? And how directly do you think it's going to impact yourself and other folks like yourself? I don't know. I mean, I think... Yeah, there's always going to be ups and downs, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't think the downs are going to be as far down or last as long as they have in the past because there's so much growth, like exponential growth in technology and one part of the world is hurting. There's other parts of the world that aren't hurting, like, like COVID, for example. I mean, there were some shops that were, um, that were struggling and really had like weren't getting any POs through the door at that time. But then I think there were other shops that were, you know, finding ways to, to still get business. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's so much coming in terms of economic growth and, um, and technology where like we might be slowing down a little bit, but I don't see it lasting that long. And I think one of the most important things that you can do to prepare for that is build your brand and your, you know, your marketing reach. So, <laughs> um, so I don't, I haven't seen it really affect me. I, um, you know, I had to pivot during COVID. I really had a bunch of people coming to me wanting websites built because they were like, Oh, this is a golden opportunity for me to start my business because I have nothing else to do. So be smart about where you're spending money and, you know, invest in, your brand and um, being able to connect with your customers, I think, is always going to be a good, a good strategy. Don't you know? Don't buy a bunch of inventory. <laughs> I would say that's that makes a ton of sense. I mean, like, focus on your foundations, focus on your fundamentals, mm -hmm. and if you're not getting slammed with new work, maybe it's a good breather to focus on some fundamentals of your branding and things like that. So I think I would put a lot of stock in that. Yeah. And like training, um, I was talking with a shop a couple weeks ago too, about like, they've, they've slowed down a little bit in the last couple months. And he said they're, they're really using it as an opportunity to cross train everyone. Cause, um, cause they want to be able to, uh, you know, as you know, talent is a really, uh, vital component of manufacturing right now. That's not, um, you know, that's been a struggle for a lot of businesses. So I think the more, um, you know, the more collaborative and cross-trained your team can be, the better, you know, the more interesting it will be for them and the more sort of connected I think they'll feel and validated too. So yeah, there's always an opportunity, you know, you just gotta look for it. There you go. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking to me and sharing all this with the audience for everyone out there. How would you think it's best for them to connect with you? Yeah, um, I'm on LinkedIn. Emily Joanne Wilkins on LinkedIn. You can look at my website, marketingmetal.com. Yeah. 
Sunday. Everyone should do that immediately. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for joining us and have a good one. Thank you so much, Kevin. All right. Bye.